to Nine to Thrive, a show about balancing work, creativity, and community. I'm your host, Janet McKenna Lowry. All fall, I talk to people who were balancing work, community, and creativity with homeschooling, people who had a lot of experience managing often an entire team of kids and their learning, creating a supportive learning environment for those kids, and who had cracked the code of making it so that the kids' work could get done and the adults' work could get done. Now that we're rolling around to winter, I am taking a little while to regroup, and so my guests are going to be some replays of people that I had on my podcast before this became a radio show. So in a little bit, we'll have that interview. First, though, I'm going to talk about time management. I have a very complicated relationship with time. I have ADHD, and everything that I've had to do around time has been a workaround because I get into flow states that make it so that I don't know what time it is, or I often will get into procrastination states that make it so that it's really difficult for me to tell time. I did take a look at this when my kids were younger because. Although I tried very hard to be on time for things, there were some things that we just seemed to always be chronically late to. And I really examined what was going on when my kid's dentist at one point said, we're going to have to drop you as a client if you are late again. We hadn't been late many times. They just had like a three strikes and you're out policy and they were a good dentist. I didn't want to lose them. So. I started looking at what the actual problem was. The time that was listed on the calendar felt like the time that we should leave the house. I've noticed a lot of things about that demarcation between inside the house and outside the house, inside a room and outside a room. There's something about doorways that seems to be, at least for my version of ADHD, a very meaningful space. So a lot of times if I start to do something in one room and I move into another room, it's almost like the doorway wipes away what I was going to do. The doorway is a new start a lot of times for me. So with that in mind, I looked at the way that we left the house as a family. It was me, three little kids. And how were, how were we going to things? Well, If the appointment is at two and it's a 20 minute drive and it's 10 minutes to get ready, then two is not helpful to me as a number at all anymore. The realization of that led me to revamp how I did the calendar. And from that moment on, everything on the calendar was the leave time. And I used to put a little L next to it because even then, sometimes I would add a leave time in. I would see that and I would, if I didn't have a little L on it, I'd add another leave time, but I was never late again. And frequently I was so early that I could even read before an appointment. One time, very memorably, we were early enough that when the kids had forgotten something critical for a rehearsal, we could turn around, go home, get it, and still make it to the rehearsal on time. I think. It's easy to give ourselves excuses about lateness and about chronic lateness. It is one of those things where we either forgive or don't forgive, ask ourselves to forgive, judge other people about. All of that aside, 
being late to things is unbelievably stressful. And stress is energy. Stress is an incredible negative energy. It's a waste of energy. So if you're late to something, relationships suffer. Relationships with your kids as you try to get them out the door. Relationships with your spouse as you both are on different timelines. What if you're out of gas? Anxiety goes up. Trouble goes up. Who wants to live that way? I mean, I certainly don't. So what I started to do was this kind of concept, which I think of as front loading. I will front load time on an appointment to give me time to get to that appointment. And in fact, I ask doctors and other places to not bother giving me a reminder card unless they do it the day before. I don't want a reminder call. I want the time, the official time, to be the time that I put on the calendar right away. I don't take a step through a doorway without doing a calendar. And that will say the time of the thing and plus any kind of preparation time, plus even a little warning time. And I don't even have small kids anymore. What I do now was a refinement that one of my kids started doing, which is I will put the event on the calendar for the lead time, including the lead time. And then I'll put the, what it is, dentist appointment, and then the at sign and the official time for the dentist appointment. That isn't necessarily great for everybody. Some people see that time and make the math adjustments. I don't. I notice that I've got an alert that I have a dentist appointment at two and it's 1.30. I start getting into gear and leave so that I'm there with a 20 minute drive. I mean, that's during normal times when we drive to places. So try that. It's a workaround, which I give to you for your own help if it helps. But more than that, it's an attitude toward things that caused me stress, things that caused me friction. I don't want to spend my day in friction at all because friction will happen whether I like it or not. So why put up with the things that are unnecessary? Why not just smooth all those out? I would rather spend a time with an extra cup of tea than time freaking out that I'm late or arguing with someone when I am late or having to apologize later because I had not taken into account other people's time. So other ways to front load that I have found just so wonderful. <laughs> One of them is from Steve Jobs. He dressed in the same outfit every single day. I don't really want to wear a black turtleneck and jeans, but I do admire the concept of everything in my clothes possession goes together. This idea of just stripping it down to classics that all go together. Some people really delight in the putting together of outfits. And I do up to a point. What I hate is the taking off and reworking or the putting on and disliking. So ways to front load are, if you put something on and you think, I never really wear this, and you find yourself taking it off again, get rid of it. You've just told yourself the answer. You don't wear it. You may love it. It may be expensive but it is not for you or you'd be wearing it. The other thing I did was a lot of mm, kind of Pinterest board reviewing of capsule wardrobes. I love capsule wardrobes. And that is what I wear as an adult now. All of my clothes can go with all the rest of my clothes, pretty much. I have a drawer full of things that don't quite. 
And of course, there are certain weather-based clothing that has to go. But I would say 90, maybe 95% of my clothes just all go together. I never have to put on like a skirt and then root around for the shirts that go with it because some of them don't. They all do. And that's just a preference. And it's but but for me, since I don't take a real delight in the variety that much, I would rather wear a capsule wardrobe and have some accessories. I have a ton of necklaces that I've made over the years. There's a kind of style of necklace that I really like, and I can sort of do endless variations on it. I enjoy the process of the craft of making them, so I have a ton of them. So normally what I'll do is I'll wear my capsule wardrobe and a necklace. But I also have a few scarves. Whatever it is I have, though, those are small, easy to store. Once I have the outfit, I can actually grab any of those accessories, they all go and I am well put together and walk out. So ask yourself, am I really enjoying this process of getting dressed in the morning? Or again, it's often combined with being late to something. It's part of, um, it's almost a Marie Kondo kind of thing, but it's also almost a maybe meditation might be too strong. Mindfulness, I guess is the right word. It's a mindfulness practice. Am I right now enjoying myself? If I'm not, what part of this am I not enjoying? And then start getting rid of that. I will say that paring down what we possess is incredibly liberating. And I don't have a problem with people wanting things. I think wanting things is fine. I think comparison with other people is soul crushing. So I'm not, I'm not about that. But the, actual, the act of wanting something, which we often slam kids for, I think it's perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with it. Of course we do. We, we're human. In fact, we seek out novelty. But if it's delightful, do it. But if it is an irritant, if it's a friction, start finding ways to stop doing it. One of the big struggles when my kids were younger was meals, not Meal times necessarily, but the making, the production of meals. Everyone had favorites. Everyone had things they didn't like. I had a real difficulty with just that because it's often really hard to get across to kids the concept of not every meal has to be your favorite. Like there have to be a list of foods and meals that are fine, not things you love, but also just because you don't love it doesn't mean you have to hate it. So that was one thing. Another thing was trying to get people's palates to be broadened. It's another thing. But the other thing was working two two parents, working full time and trying to get the kids the food. So a discovery that I made when my kids were in, you know, young, young kids was once a month cooking. You can look it up online. They often use the abbreviation OMAC for once a month cooking. The first thought most people have is, I don't have enough room for that. You'd need to have a freezer. Not true. I had a very small refrigerator and there were five of us. Not apartment size, the kind that fits under a cabinet, but it was a small refrigerator as refrigerators go. With once a month cooking, the way to freeze everything, the way to store everything is to store it flat for a couple hours, let it freeze and then tilt it up like a bookshelf. And so when when it was full, when I had done a once a month, time, I had 
a bookshelf of different meals that we could make. And then what you do is you plan out in advance, if I'm going to make enough spaghetti sauce for, you know, eight meals for five people, how much spaghetti sauce is that going to be? What kind of ingredients do I need? If I'm chopping onions for spaghetti sauce, oh, well, I could chop onions for this other chicken dish that we like. Whatever it is, you make a menu, you expand it into approximately 30 days, you take a weekend, crank the tunes, go to a store like Costco where you can get bulk, and hunker down and cook effectively all 30 meals. The funny thing about it is that while it seems like a big deal, what happened was during the 30 days, fairly often, someone felt like cooking anyway. So we didn't have to go in. My, my once a month cooking usually handled a lot of the heavy lifting for two months and occasionally three, because now there was always something available to prepare if nobody had the will or the interest or the energy to make something. As the kids got older, they could make stuff from what was in the freezer. It was front-loading. It, it took this huge burden off the future. And every single time I reached in and grabbed a meal, I thanked my past self for prepping it for me on a weekend where I just cranked the tunes and cooked one big cook and cleaned up. Now my kids are grown and it's just me eating and I still do a version of this. I will cook usually once a week, typically. I'll cook up a bunch of the different foods I like. I will prep a ton of fresh vegetables, stick them in containers, and I will even do a thing where I make two quiches in square pans. So there's eight slices and that's breakfast for the next week, plus an extra for lunch at some point. And on the one hand, I'm friends with lots of foodies who cannot believe anybody lives like this because they're very, very interested. They get a lot of delight out of making meals. I can make meals. And if I do get delight out of it, I'll do it. But it's not a thing that necessarily gives me delight. So for most of the time, for my own health and maintenance and having good food around, this is what I do. I will say that having the food prepared like this, that's already nutritious, it's already from the, they always say shop from the outer perimeter of the grocery store where the foods aren't prepared by someone else because it'll be cheaper and it'll be more nutritious. It'll be better for you. And both of those are true. So by having this stuff to hand, I'm not really tempted to eat any junk food most of the time. And if I do eat junk food, it's because I intended to, not because I felt I had to, because I didn't have anything else. And I was so spent that I couldn't cope with dealing with the food. So that right there is food and time and clothing right off the bat. And it doesn't have to always work to still make it better on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis. There are still weeks where I didn't cook and I think, darn it. But most of the time when I have, I'm incredibly thankful that I have. And when I do that kind of once a week cooking, it doesn't take, it. I don't have to push aside a weekend to do it. It takes me maximum two hours, three hours. And today we'll be talking with Meg Birch, a nurse and former epidemiologist and newly minted Taekwondo teacher about dealing with anxiety, setting intentions, directing your energy, 
and the growth mindset, like you haven't listened to this episode yet. work and community and creativity and you can start with any of those Meg thanks for coming today you are welcome balancing work and creativity and community so I'll have to say I'm gonna just say that there was a period of time maybe that ended about two years ago where there wasn't a whole lot of balance Mm -hmm. Um, I work full-time and I have an additional job on top of that and at the time I was on my local board of health and then was on some task force both locally in my town and countywide that had to do with um, fighting Kinder Morgan and a pipeline that was meant to come through our town. Oh, wow. And that became kind of all-encompassing for about 18 months. And at some point in that, I was like, it was when I sort of realized, like, oh, there is no balance here. Mm. Because it was just... I would work and then I would be doing pipeline stuff and I would be at meetings and on, you know, the various committees that I was on and writing reports and reading reports and reading Kinder Morgan's 4,000 page, you know, proposal for this pipeline Um, and being able to stand up at meetings saying, but you know, on this section here, you said this and they'd be like, what? (laughs) They didn't know what was in their own. Well, it wasn't that they didn't know, but at one point I asked one of the guys about it and he said, what did you do? Read the gosh damn report? I said, well, yeah. (laughs) And he was like, nobody does that. I'm like, well, I did. So they were in anyway. a legal battle. Of course, someone's going to read the reports. <laughs> they didn't expect a you know, little local, basically volunteer board of health member from a you know <sighs> teeny town to be one of the ones saying, but <laughs> um, anyway, so that was a point where I def- I sort of had to really think about, OK, what am I doing in my life? What's important? Am I doing the things that are important to me? Um, and, and, and the pipeline got it. it they withdrew their they application. Withdrew. Great. Well done. Yeah. So it's it's gone for now is how I think of it, mm. especially with the current climate in the U.S. <clears throat> is that how is that why you ended up stopping? Would you have kept going if it was still? I probably because I'm stubborn enough would have kept going, but I was pretty exhausted at that point. Yeah. And, you know, I have I had two kids still at home and or maybe one. No, one had graduated and was in college at that point. Um, but so another kid still at home and who, you know, needed stuff. And so basically it was work pipeline, my volunteer, you know, all the, all of the sort of ancillary volunteer things that went along with that, my son and anything else that was asked of me. And then it was sort of like, Oh, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm too tired. I'm going to bed. So there was no me in that. Right. So that was a point where I was sort of like, Oh, zero balance. Right. Time to kind of reclaim. Were you elected to the health board? Is that a thing? Oh, wow. So you had to like stand for election and all that? It's not hard in my town. (laughs) (laughs) 
it's not that impressive. <laughs> I think you should go with it. It sounds great. <laughs> it looks good on a resume. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that was around the point where I thought, okay, not so much balance. Time to figure out how to scale back from things. So when Kinder Morgan withdrew, that worked out really well for me because then all of a sudden I was off of three different committees that I had been on. Um, and so no longer had meetings every single night right. that would go till, you know, late. And declined an invitation to go on the countywide planning board mm. because I was just like, nope, nope, nope. This is about scaling back, not about adding things. Was that, was it hard? Was it hard to say no? It was really hard to say no. Yeah. It was really hard to say no. Because I think I would have been really good mm. with the nursing background and epidemiology background. And um, I do well in that kind of forum where you're maybe talking about things and you have to be able to look at it both from the small scale of a town. In this case, it's a it's a Franklin County Regional Planning Board. Mm. So also looking at it from the regional perspective and towns have different needs and there's 31 towns in the planning 26 Franklin County, and then I think there are four others that. Mm. So, anyway, it, it was hard, but it was also, I knew it was the right decision. Yeah. And so I just had to keep telling myself that it was like, nope, you have to do the right decision. <laughs> and it's a, you know, it was left as an open door. If I ever was at a place where I felt like I wanted to do it again, I can contact the person and say, mm. you still looking for planning board members? You still think I'd be a good fit with what's going on? And. Yeah, from there, but is that something you'd be interested in picking up again, or do you feel like you've served yeah. your time? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm kind of definitely gone kind of past that now. Yeah, but then that so then the spring just over two years ago, one of the things I did was I was just sort of thinking about okay, what am I doing? What am I doing for myself? How am I taking care of myself? And when my boys were little, I practiced taekwondo. Uh -huh. And so I called up the master at the school that I studied in, and I said, what do I need to do to come back? <laughs> and he <laughs> said, quite simply, show up. <laughs> Last times haven't changed. <laughs> and it had been, uh, my best guess was like 14 years. Wow. And so I went back, and I went back in April, and by June I had three broken ribs. And Whoa! <laughs> And so then I was out for a while and then I got back and then I hurt my knee not doing Taekwondo. I hurt my knee hiking and I was like, man, oh man. But I just kept kind of like doing whatever I had to do to get my body back. And I would go with whatever limitations I had and I would do as much of class as I could do. Yeah. Because it was the kind of thing that when I, even the days I didn't want to go, We'll assume, you know, about usually five to ten minutes into class, then I would sort of be like, oh, <laughs> this is exactly what I needed to be doing tonight. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or this morning. One of the, it's a morning class one day a week. So, yeah. So I've been doing that and I've tested three times since I went back. And you are qualified as, as a teacher, did you say? I just did I just yeah. passed my teaching test. So nice. in my school, it's a first black stripe on a red belt. Mm -hmm. I will have another test that will be a second black stripe. And then the test after that is my black belt. Whoa. So, yeah, it's it's been it's been great for the physical exercise, the sort of mental health, general 
general keeping perspective. I don't know how to really say that in a better mm. way, but you know, so much about Taekwondo is what you bring into the dojong. And mm. so, you know, if I go in and I'm just like struggling to do something, then it's all about whatever my, it's all about struggling. Mm. Um, whereas if I can just sort of show up and set my intention for that day and it's been fascinating. So if I can set my intention, then that tends to be the kind of class I have. Mm. What's been fascinating and in a way unexpected, but once I really thought about it, it makes perfect sense, is the, the things that come up in class when I'm really learning something and I'm getting feedback. You know, they're, they're the, it's life. Mm. It's life. And so... For a while, we do these things called one steps, where the idea is somebody, you know, and they're, you have a partner, they do a simulated punch, and you have to block it and counter that punch. And up to a certain rank, they're, they're set. You just learn what you're supposed to do, and that's what you do. Okay. Beyond that, you learn other things and you get to be creative and you get to make them up Mm -hmm. and i will sometimes just freeze i'll like do a block and then i'll be like uh and a couple of the black belts will say to me stop thinking stop thinking just do go 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 do something do something and it's just it's very interesting to sort of see where i get caught in things there or things that i feel like I've messed up and then they'll say until you went Ugh, nobody knew you had messed up it's <laughs> funny like, I never think of those I never think of a discipline martial arts discipline as improv but you're discussing you're like actually talking about it like it's improv it's absolutely improv and there is definitely theater <laughs> in in doing one steps and in even doing the forms because so much of it is what do you, you know, you're, you're, you're doing these, uh, the forms are they're forms so there's a series of moves that are established and there is a right way to do them and a wrong way to do them. But what you bring to that Mm. form, what energy you bring, what your presence is when you do that form and whether you hold a move a a second longer Mm. or, you know, than than something else to just give it that extra little emphasis Mm. um, really changes it. And then in the one steps, we talk about, you know, so somebody punches, I block and I counter them. Then part of it is then there's the drama because I'm not actually going to do whatever it is I'm simulating that I'm going to do. Right. But we do takedowns. And so if you're being taken down, if when you go down, you slap the floor. Right. You know, then you, you really get <laughs> it's like this. wrestling. <laughs> it is a little bit like wrestling. Um, I never thought of that. But yeah. Um, so that's kind of fun. And, and, and again, so much of it is just how do you how do you present? You know, if you kind of go like through the moves and without a whole lot of anything Mm. it's not going to be so impressive um well you mentioned setting intentions and i wrote a little note what did you mean by that so for me it means thinking about i guess it's 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 thinking about what 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 am i doing there Mm. right if i'm in class and i can't let go of that you know awful conversation I had with a coworker that I'm going to have to deal with the next day, then my practice is going to be all about that energy. Mm. Whereas if I can sort of say, okay, 
you're here, so you're going to be present here, and you're just going to you're going to keep it light, mm. you know. And so that will be sort of my intention going into class mm-hmm. is not car- not bringing in whatever I'm carrying, mm. um, and. You know, sometimes, especially when, like, if I know there's a test coming up or something like that, or if I'm learning a new form, my intention will be to be maybe to really hold a growth mindset. Mm -hmm. And so hold on to the idea that, yep, I'm going to make mistakes. Mm. I'm going to fail. Okay. (laughs) Not going to get it right. Okay. Got it. Is there a meditation piece? to taekwondo there is a meditation piece to taekwondo a formal meditation we start class with a short meditation time we end class with a short meditation time and i would actually argue that some of the forms are pretty meditative Mm. um because if you are just in the form and especially if you think about what the meaning of the form is uh so like what the first form is lake Ah, I just always thought there were fake fights. <laughs> well, they are. Yeah. They are. I mean, they're, they're a series of counters with visible attackers. Right. And it's a way of practicing certain combinations of blocks and strikes and kicks. But it's also, you can't, you can't do the form if you're distracted. Mm. You can't do the form if you're thinking about, what am I making for dinner tonight? Right. You can't. You have to be just in what you're doing. And when you can think about, you know, there's one of the forms is um, the way of thunder. And when you when I think about that form, there is so, you know, it fits. It fits that. And so that's a form, especially if I've had, you know, rough days or whatever. That's a form where I'll just sort of say, okay, like, here's a really good place for me to put that energy Mm. into this form and let it translate out as power do you get into flow states flow states yeah flow states are like when you know something so well you it just kind of goes through you instead of by you sometimes with forms i will yeah and then and i don't the, the only reason i sort of say that i think i do that is because there are times where we'll do something out of order like we'll do forms out of order or we'll do them facing a different way mm-hmm. and everybody is completely flummoxed <laughs> you know um and sometimes you know the uh one class recently one of the black belts was was leading and they called the next form and they had skipped one and the entire class started the one they had skipped oh interesting even though it wasn't the one he had said for us to do we all did the one that would have been next in the order <laughs> and he's like i thought i said you chung and we were like yeah, but Sajung's next. <laughs> um, and so you have, you know, 20 people all just not even, well, I don't know if there was 20 that day, but yeah, all just going into the next form because that's what's next. Yeah. And that's, and then if you do the forms out of order, it can be really hard. Is that a thing you do just to, you know, like, um, just to memorize the betters go out of order or is it really that they belong in an order and the order is the order? Mm. You can do them out of order. Yeah. And you can do them. Traditionally, we do them at the end of class, mm-hmm. starting with the with the first form and going, you know, you go through until you've reached your highest form and then you sit and you bow and you sit mm. down. When I taught class, I actually started with a form. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Nine to Thrive, a podcast about balancing work, 
community, and creativity. With our first form, and then I had them all through class, and I, I arranged it so we finished with the last form. Mm. And it was very different to do other things in between the forms. Mm. And it was it was perfectly acceptable. It you know, it was sort of a different way of teaching it. Yeah. And it changed how the forms felt. Yeah. 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 So doing Taekwondo was a big piece for me of creating balance. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's more creative than I would have thought. That's very interesting. I mean, I'm familiar with it and yeah. um, my kids took it. Yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah. You'll all hear the black belts talk to, especially um, there was a big test this past June of, I don't know, there must have been eight black belts went up a rank. And one of the things that I would hear in classes leading up to that were occasionally there would be feedback from one of the masters to somebody saying, I really liked your interpretation of hmm. that, you know, because it and it's so there's there is this this room for interpretation within following exactly what the prescribed moves are. Well, that makes it like choreography. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Taekwondo. Taekwondo. That's yeah. very interesting. Yeah. I, that, that's, that was a neat place to go with that. All right. And then uh, you balance that with being a nurse. Uh-huh. Yeah. How long have you been a nurse? I've been a nurse for eight years. Okay. And worked as a school nurse for seven. Mm. And I, for two and a half years, have been a nurse leader for the district that I work in which is just basically additional administrative responsibilities mm. that theoretically happen outside of school hours, but practically happen mm. whenever they happen, <laughs> whenever something goes on that, yeah. And what made you become a nurse? Because you were an epidemiologist for a while, right? I was an epidemiologist, and I had been working for almost nine years, nine, nine and a half years, I guess for a company that was a private company that did mostly occupational epidemiology. Um, they also did a lot of litigation support. Okay, um, litigation support, I can guess that, but what's occupational epidemiology? Although it's really fun to say, and I'm very pleased I could say it. <laughs> so occupational epidemiology would be things like um, studies of vinyl chloride workers. Oh. That then determined that. Or like the popcorn lung people, like that? The popcorn lung. Yeah, people. you know, you know, the, um, you know, buttered, buttered microwave oh. popcorn. They put that stuff in there and then some of them get popcorn lung. That, yeah, that, that's would, that? that would be, that would be, yeah. That, that, would, that, be that would be that? Not, that wouldn't be occupational epidemiology. Oh, really? Oh. Unless it was the unless it was the workers. It was the workers? Oh oh oh! Then yeah, it would it be sorry. Packaging. I thought you were saying it was people eating. No no the, no, no, no. The oh, eaters yeah. were fine. It was the packagers that were. Oh yeah, all that's absolutely coming. occupational epidemiology. Wow. Yeah. Black lung. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> so Asbestos, what happened, what happened silica, polyvinyl chloride. Chloride. What happened with that? It's a liver carcinogen. Really. Vinyl chloride. And isn't it what they make like car seats of? Or yeah. Pipes. PVC, polyvinyl. There's part? different. There's different form. I didn't work on that project, so I don't yeah. have. And at this point, it's been a while. Yeah. Anyway, so I don't have <laughs> the knowledge. Very curious about but this. there was. It was a particular. Um, uh, it was a particular formulation, chemical formulation that was uh -huh. that was problematic. And did you find that because you had kids before you had kids while you were doing that? Is the nursing a better, was that a better deal for like parenting and scheduling and stuff? For parenting and scheduling, it was way better yeah. um, because my, when I started as a school nurse, my boys were 
both in one was in middle school and one was in high school mm. and so we were on the same school calendar and you know i would be done with work a little you know 45 minutes or an hour after they got out of school or and it meant that i could go to sports games and i could uh. pick them up from practice when it ended at four instead of five and you know all that kind of stuff it just gave me a whole level of flexibility it was really nice to have nice is that why you did it i did it and so i did it i in in the company i was working for i was i did some work early on on uh dry cleaning chemicals oh perchloroethylene specifically yeah and i did a critical review with there were a couple of us that worked on it of the literature for that and then we did one on silica and and then from that i ended up kind of getting diverted into the litigation support work that when i started doing it was very theoretical it was kind of like well if there's two exposures and both companies are liable for the health expenses of the workers how do you how do you decide who has to pay okay what if both things can cause the same cancer in this case and and so a lot of the work that we did had to do with how do you apportion risk Mm. Um, when there's when there's two exposures and they're not additive exposures this was looking at asbestos and uh, tobacco Mm. and so both of them cause lung cancer together they cause more lung cancer than it's a synergistic effect and so it's not just adding the two risks together it's actually a multiplicate that's really Um, interesting and it's if if you were if back in the day if you were an asbestos worker who smoked yeah your risk of lung cancer was really high wow. compared to a asbestos worker that didn't smoke or somebody who was a smoker but didn't work with asbestos. Yeah. So we got pulled in on a litigation project trying to figure out, you know, basically who had to pay more for which, which various lung diseases. Right. And that work continued for a while and but over time became more plaintiff specific and less kind of uh, class action or theoretical. And then it really was not what I wanted to be doing mm. because the, we were always hired by the, by the defense. So by the big corporation. Oh, right. And then, you know, there's just yeah. a point where you feel like, you know, really, 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 really. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it was at a time when there weren't a lot of projects and I had started thinking that, you know, while I, I still passionately love epidemiology, what I didn't like about what the work I was doing was I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was doing public health and mm. I really wanted to be doing public health mm. more than corporate defense. Okay. For sure. If I had been working on some kind of, you know, a big occupational study, I might have, I may have felt differently. I may have felt more inclined to more, would have felt that it was a better fit. But uh-huh. um, in any case, so I started looking for other jobs and the jobs that, so um, I'm just going to back up and say, so the, my husband is an artist and has his shop at home. Mm. And as an epidemiologist, I had opportunities where I could have moved to Boston or I could have moved uh, to Atlanta, you know, or oh, right. there Atlanta. was a position open right. at one point in Fort Collins that was like right up what I wanted to be doing with infectious disease epidemiology. 
but he had kids and by the time at that point we also had two small kids together and so the logistics around moving a blended family were kind of overwhelming right and so when i looked around the area that i lived in it was there wasn't a lot of jobs out there Um, The jobs that I saw that were interesting, either with the Department of Public Health or with local hospitals, all required an RN. Oh, okay. And so I sort of went, oh, I don't really want to go back to school. (laughs) Um, And I kind of stayed where I was for another, I don't know, year, 18 months. And then there was enough of a slowdown at that point and I had no projects. And so I got laid off, Um, which was one of those moments where you go, oh, my God, I've just been laid off from my job. And then you go, oh. I've just been laid off for my job. <laughs> this is pretty good. So, um, I, you know, I, I spent a lot of time looking for work about six months. And then our local community college had an open registration day. And on a whim, I walked in and said, so <laughs> what do I need to do? And I happened to talk with someone who was the head of the science department at that point, And she waved me out of a couple courses and I walked out of there and enrolled in the prerequisites that I needed for the nursing program. (laughs) It was kind of like, what What? What happened here? Um, But it was great. It was it was it was definitely one of those things where I was like, oh, my God, I'm going back to school again. Right. And doing graduate work with babies. Right. It's surprisingly easy compared to doing something like a nursing program when you have school aged. Really? Oh, way. <laughs> the babies stay where you put them. They take naps. Wow. They like sleep. That, that is that is a unique perspective. They, they don't have sports practice and other extracurricular. Guess, yeah. <laughs> they don't need help with their calculus. <laughs> that you're like, oh, calculus. I know I did well in that 30 years ago. Um, so, yeah, their lives are simpler. Wow. Yeah. They need more care, but their yeah. lives are simpler. Yeah. They need more care and you get less sleep. Yeah, but if you're in school, you get less sleep anyway. So. <laughs> just part of it anyway so that's uh yeah so then i and and when i graduated nursing school i had been thinking about maybe trying to get into infectious disease work or wound care which i know many people would be like (laughs) Um, and i actually found bizarrely fascinating and somebody i knew had asked me somebody uh, the school nurse in my town had asked me a number of times if i thought i would want to do school nursing and i was like i don't know i don't know you know yeah and on her partly because she kept pestering me i signed up to sub Uh in the district and thought oh this is kind of fun (laughs) (laughs) And, and she subsequently put in for retirement Oh, wow. And um, I applied for the job and I got it. Wow. So I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) I'm not sure I would hire somebody with as little nursing experience as I had at that point. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I had had a year of nursing experience, but, you know, school nursing, you're it. You're, You're the medical person in the building. And whether your contract says you take care of adults or not, they're going to show up in your office and kids are going to show up in your office. And sometimes they're really sick and sometimes they're not. And sometimes there's something really wrong with them that you just kind of go like, I don't feel good about this. 
And depending on your population, it can be challenging, more challenging, just depending on the needs of your of your population. Right. Oh, oh, uh, you may not be able to answer this, but uh, I know the whole Franklin County's had terrible Opioids. Opioid problems. Is that is that something you have to deal with up in your little town? I keep Narcan in the nurse's office. Okay. And I fought hard to make that happen in all of the elementary schools in our district. Mm. We already had it at the high school for a, longer. We have had it at the high school. And one of the things I realized is, and there were a couple of, you know, anecdotal, but I don't know. Anecdotal insofar, it was someone from the state saying that this happened in a school in the Commonwealth. So mm. there was one instance where, and I know some in another state, a teacher died, OD'd uh, in his classroom. Ooh. And that actually there was somebody OD'd and uh, survived in a Massachusetts school. And there was another instance where a parent dropped her uh, early child, you know, pre-K or kindergarten student off at school and OD'd in the car. Oh. And in both instances, there was Narcan available. Oh, that's good. So my feeling is, you know... Have it around. Have it around. Yeah. The, I, the I point... don't expect to use it on my students. Right. Right. No, the poignant story I heard last year when they were talking about it being a real problem and rural Massachusetts was some parent who went to a little league game and the logic that she had was if I OD I'll be around people Mm. so she was actually timing her usage with the thought and it's kind of it's twisted in a way but it was also a way so that not just her kids would be with her and and in fact it was the little league coach saying i now want to keep narcan around um because i can't be i can't eradicate this on my own but at least i can make sure that you know give somebody a chance yeah Yeah. you give somebody a chance yeah it was a really it was a it was a it's like you're dealing with it. It was just a very interesting overlay that's kind of come up in the last couple yeah. of years. And we have had in our district, we've had nobody has OD'd in a building, mm. but we have had people OD. Mm. And, you know, it's in our community. We, we, we've had families that ended up in the foster care system. Does that come under public health when you were talking earlier about being on public health committees and stuff? Is that something that the town... Some towns will deal with. Yeah. Yeah. I was curious whether that had become sort of written as a public health hazard or a public health concern. You know, I think for community, like my community, you know, communities where you've got maybe public parks, you might have regulations mm-hmm. around having sharps containers in public bathrooms. And, right. You know, right, that right. kind of stuff. Those, those would be things that the Board of Health might say, look, we really need to do this. Right, right. Because we need a place for these things to be other than the curb or right. the playground or what have you. For my town, not, not, not really. Not so much. So, um, what's, so what's your favorite part about what you do right now? No two days are the same. And I, I get to do... You know, I, I, I talk about I've got, you know, my my darlings, my mm-hmm. students that are, you know, three to 12 years old and taking care of them and working, trying, you know, collaborating with families when there's an issue going on, whether it's a health issue or just, you know, somebody is struggling 
and you know we're kind of all putting our heads together to figure out how to support the student in the best way possible for them to be available you know my job as a school nurse is for the student is is to support the student so that they can be there to do their job which is to learn mm. and so you know and it's a small community so i know all the families and i know all the kids mm. and, you know that's you know there are certainly days where i'm trying to get some you know stupid report done and a kid will come in with you know nothing <laughs> and be like nurse Meg I need a band-aid and you know I'm looking I'm going like I don't see it um and having to sort of take you know do that mental like whoop step back <laughs> they're not here because there's an actual cut they're here because they need something from you nurse Aww. Meg um and so being able to be that person for kids sometimes is just incredibly rewarding Aww. um to just be able to give them the hug that they need or put a band-aid on something that doesn't need a band-aid or you know teach them about why you know what the no that's a scab and that's your body's band-aid and that's perfect and like your body is so cool look at what it's doing and then they forget that they're you know stressed out about whatever's happening in the classroom because i've gone off on some little (laughs) tangent about the physiology about wound healing um so and you know so there is the this constant teaching yeah constant teaching and and just trying to read where people are at and figure out what they need and do you feel like your life is kind of in balance now with the things that you do you're saying it was out out of whack do you feel like you've got a point right now where it's 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 yeah i feel like it is i feel like because i've also added I, I, I'm going to back up. So after Taekwondo, after I went back to Taekwondo, mm. somewhere in there, I had the kind of the realization and I, I framed it at the time as a, as the realization that my world had gotten very small mm. and that I needed to think about how to make my world bigger. And so for about a year, every single day, I would set the intention of you need to do something today yeah. that makes your world a little bit bigger. And it could just be interacting with somebody different, you know, in a, in a different setting that I maybe wouldn't have necessarily struck up a conversation with or reading something that's outside of my usual stuff that I would read. Uh Um, and, uh, and around the time that I sort of set that intention, I got invited to join a group of women who cycle and I got invited to join a book group and this whole sort of other world kind of opened up to me from this new social circle that I was invited into and and then I just started also you know making more time for the things that I wanted to be doing whether it was going to concerts and reaching out to friends that you know had gotten out of the habit of reaching out to yeah Um, when kids were small and you just you know nobody had any free time because you were going 18 different directions and it was always like okay how am I going to get all of these things done on, you know, the day that I'm not working and the kids have to be bop da ba da and I've got to do this and this, you know, like that became life. Right. And so it was, it, it did take a, a sort of an act of saying, okay, I'm going to wake up each morning and I'm going to say, what do I want to do today? <laughs> What's one thing I want to do today? Yeah. And it didn't have to be anything and chores don't count, <laughs> but it had to be something that like, yeah, I'd actually, I would like to do that. Yeah. And trying to, to just make that a habit. That's a neat approach. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Yeah. So it, it's work though. Yeah. 
it's work in the sense that it's easy to fall back into old habits. Right. And so it's making the time, kind of claiming the time. Yeah. To have in your own head. I get up early. I get up about five most days. Uh-huh. And I start my day drinking a cup of coffee and I don't have a device and I don't have a book. Like I just drink a cup of coffee. <laughs> um, and that's my kind of like, just let my mind unfold about the day and mm-hmm. figure out, you know, what comes to the surface, whether it's a worry or a have to, and then kind of, okay, let's put that aside. Mm. Can't do anything about that right now. Mm. And then just try to, mm. to go. And when I'm, when I do it, it's great. <laughs> when I don't do it, I find myself getting a little afraid, and then I have to sort of say, oh, yeah, like, okay, because you haven't been taking the time you need. Yeah, yeah. Making the time you need. Well, I also often ask people whether they have any advice they'd give their younger self. Hmm. You can't do it all. Hmm. And... And I think had I known about, I use a model with kids of dealing with anxiety, um, that when I learned about that, it was the same time where in the building I work in as a full staff, teaching staff and ancillary staff, we were sort of for a month, we're just focusing on reading and learning about growth mindset. Uh And the two kind of complement each other because the approach to anxiety has to do with Instead of trying to make it go away or, you know, reassure or anything like that, the approach says you're going to expect it to show up. And so when you realize you're anxious, you go, oh, hmm, yep. Okay. I'm anxious. Uh Not a big surprise. And then it becomes about how do you externalize it? So you're not the anxiety. It's this other thing that's going to keep you from doing what you want to do or interfere with what you want to do in some way. It's going to, it, it wants to be the boss and you don't. And that's how I talk with kids about it. Yeah. You know, anxiety is going to like, they want to like be the boss of you. Like, (laughs) do you really want anxiety to like make the decision about what you do at recess? Like that just seems like weird. (laughs) And, and then you experiment, you, you play around with it, you try something and, and that's where the sort of, it complements the growth mindset mm. because there are going to be times where you do something and you go, yep, that didn't work. Well, explain growth mindset for a minute. So what I think of growth mindset is, is the understanding that we learn from being challenged. We learn from making mistakes. Mm. And so if, if we sort of stay in this in this mindset that says I always have to get it right and I can't it's it's very narrow it's a very narrow mindset I don't I have a harder time explaining like the opposite of mindset (laughs) um you know one one of the things I think of is you know so somebody who has a fixed mindset they're gonna say yeah I I can't learn languages I see yeah can't do it or I'm not good at math yeah Nope. That's the classic. Yeah. Right. And so all of a sudden you've made your world smaller. You've narrowed your options. You've, you've defined yourself in a way that may or may not be accurate. Right. Whereas if you take that same statement and you add the word yet Mm -hmm. to the end, then you're practicing a growth mindset. Right. And so, 
I, I know I do that in Taekwondo. There was a kick that I was really struggling with for a while, and I kept saying, like, oh, my God, I just cannot do, you know, hook kicks. And then I was like, wait, you got to add yet to that. <laughs> and it changes. Like, if you think about it, if you say to yourself, I can't do that. Right. And then you, t- and you repeat that to yourself and say, I can't do that yet. Yeah. The door is open. You've, you've just created space. Yeah. And you've just created opportunity for yourself. Yeah. To grow. And, and, and maybe, maybe you will find out that, you know, say it's learning an instrument. You're not going to be Yo-Yo Ma. But that doesn't mean yet. that you won't. <laughs> yet. But it doesn't mean you won't get enjoyment out of the process. Right. Of learning it. And so growth mindset is more about the process. Right. It's not about so much the end result. So I, I think that like those pieces of it are what I would tell my younger self. Yeah. Is really embrace the growth mindset. And and, and it's it's more about just noticing noticing life and what your relationship to it is. So when something happens and you feel stressed out, you kind of go, Oh, hmm, that's really stressing me out. Yeah. It's just a very different response to acting on that stress. I have to say, it's kind of nice. The thought about school nurse having that kind of information to give children. Yeah. <laughs> and their parents. And their parents. And their parents. Well, Meg, thanks so much. Thanks for Absolutely. coming on my podcast. This is really fun. Yeah, you are welcome. It's fun to do it. I'd like to thank Meg Birch for being here today. Whether it's taekwondo or running for local office, go do something awesome. Start now, even if you don't have all the answers. That's it for this week's 9 to Thrive podcast. Be sure to visit working9tothrive.com. That's with the number 9 to access links, info, and to join the conversation. We're on Twitter. 9 to Thrive and Facebook at Working 9 to Thrive. Thanks for listening.